welcome back to Dose of Support, a podcast where healthcare professionals share their stories and find community. Let's learn from each other and utilize some self-care in healthcare. I'm Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner, and I'm here to help our guests have a platform to share. Remember, I'm not your healthcare provider and neither are my guests, but we do encourage you to seek out care from your own professional. This podcast is not affiliated with any employer. And let's also remember to protect privacy and abide by HIPAA. It's hard out there. So let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned. Let's huddle up together. Hi, everyone. I am coming to you from a somber place after the events that took place last week. And what that was, was domestic terrorism. It was white supremacy and white privilege. And as a white person, I took that time to think about how white supremacy has benefited me. Because we have all been in a system built on white supremacy since the foundation of of the United States. Um, And what I mean by that is the system that was built was always benefiting white people and always suppressing people of color. And when I reflect on that, I think for generations, my family has been able to work within that system. That system has promised prosperity and we've been able to work, be educated, um, be safe and not be treated differently because of the color of our skin. But that same system has suppressed people. That system of right, white supremacy, what we saw last week is it hurts everybody. People died and people died no matter what their skin color was. And so clearly white supremacy does hurt everybody. We should have an incentive to change that. And I think when you look at healthcare and the system of healthcare, there's a lot of parallels with the system of white supremacy. And we know that both of those systems are not working for everyone, right? We know that there are healthcare disparities and that those healthcare disparities differ by gender, by race. And so white supremacy perseverates into every aspect of our society here in the United States. And so what we can do as healthcare workers, if you are listening today and you're like, what can I do? Obviously, this there is no easy answer, right? There isn't one answer. But if you are a white person and you're listening to this and you want to do something, I would start by looking at how you have benefited from white supremacy. But then we need to listen. Just listen to people of color. And that's what we're going to do this week. We have Dr. Stephanie Young-Moss joining us, and it's really at the right time. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned. Welcome back to Dose of Support. Today, Dr. Stephanie Young-Moss is here to share her unique pharmacist role. 
She's served on various professional boards like the Minority Health Commission and Clinical Quality Committee at regional and organizational levels. That's right, a pharmacist specializing in economics and research in health equity, she strives to decrease implicit bias and address social determinants of health. Welcome, Dr. Stephanie. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Vanessa. Well, thank you. <laughs> I I am so curious, and I was reading, so everyone, for the listeners, everyone that is on the show submits a survey. And Stephanie said that she was a Midwest girl or Southern girl living in the Midwest. And I just need an explanation to that, Stephanie. <laughs> well, I was born and raised in the South, uh, born, in, born in Alabama, but went to school and pretty much from my childhood on in Tennessee. I went to pharmacy school in New Orleans. So always a Southern girl you know, say y'all all the time. So you may hear me say y'all a few times on here, if that's okay. I do that too. <laughs> okay, I, good. I li- yeah, I lived in Texas for a number of years. So, oh, I, but I can hear your accent and I yeah. was like, I gotta know, what is this from? <laughs> so then I, uh, after finishing pharmacy school, I did a fellowship. It was offered a fellowship in Indianapolis and I determined I'm going to stay here after this fellowship and I'm going back south. But faith had it otherwise. And I ended up meeting my husband and raising a family here. So I've been here for almost 20 years and I was only supposed to be here for two years. So (laughs) I'm in Indianapolis. I'm a Midwest girl and my kids were born and raised in the Midwest. So when they hear me say y'all, they think it's the funniest thing. (laughs) I get kind of offended, but you know, hey, what can I say? Well, I mean, if they're teenagers, I mean, nope, not yet. But I'm oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, if they've got any ounce of sass, I'm I'm not surprised to hear that. But um, <laughs> that's so funny. So you're a mom. You're a busy clinician. It, it sounds like you really had a a plan in place when you went to school. But what what brought you to pharmacy? What brought you to that role as a pharmacist? Well, you know, while I was in school. I think as with a lot of young kids, I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. I was raised by someone who was an ultrasonographer, so I've always been around either radiologists or ultrasound or something of that nature. Um, but I had decided I wanted to be a pediatrician. And just because, you know, I'm a teenager and I want to help kids. That's pretty yeah. much all I knew, really, to be honest. That's all I knew. Uh, but the more I went to school and the more I started looking, um, I actually spoke to one of my counselors in school and she was like, have you ever considered pharmacy? And I literally said no, because I had not. I didn't know a lot of pharmacists. No one in my family was a pharmacist, but I ended up researching it more and it just seemed like it was just something that would fit me perfectly. And then the more I researched it, I realized that I didn't have to only work in community pharmacy, which is right. a great, which is actually a great thing because they help, the, they help the community, but I could also do, various other things. So after looking into it more, I decided to go that route. When you went through your program, were you still like, I'm going to work in pediatrics as a pharmacist? Like, did you still have that? Or, you know, what brought you to this, this health equities and addressing disparities role that you had? I Actually, I did not. So uh, after going to school, I really thought 
I'm going to work in as a community pharmacist because back then that is where the shortage was. They needed more pharmacists to be in, you know, to work in the retail, to work in those drugstores because there was a shortage. Okay. And the geriatric, geriatric population was growing. The baby boomers were getting older, so they needed more of us to be able to help, et cetera. And then I found an internship with a drug company. And from that experience with the drug company is what made me go the more business route is what I like to call it. I really saw that you can be a pharmacist and have a job every two years, a different type of job every two years while working in industry. So that's kind of where I started off and where I went. And then I ended up going to managed care. But as far as healthcare disparities is concerned, as soon as I got out of school, while I was in what's called Student National Pharmaceutical Association, and it's an organization for students who want to serve the underserved. So I started there being president of my chapter while in school, then was a national officer, I was national treasurer for that. So it kind of started there. And then I just took that after I graduated and I was on boards after I graduated, I got connected with the community. Even though I was only supposed to live for two years, I still got connected. (laughs) I got connected with the community to learn more. So that really started even prior to my career, wanting to help with health disparities. So while that's not within what I do every day for my day-to-day job, but my volunteer time, that is where I spend my time is focusing on decreasing health disparities and increasing health equity. I think a lot of people listening that maybe work in healthcare really want to contribute to that somehow, really want to make a difference for people that are suffering in our system. And I, I it kind of sounds to me like you have expertise there. Can you tell me what is a day in the life as Dr. Stephanie Young-Moss, pharmacist, um, what what is a day in the life like for you? Well, typically I try and get up before everyone else in the house gets up, especially... <laughs> having virtual learning going on right now like that's so important but it may be getting on the treadmill and to be honest during quarantine I have not been as disciplined as I should have been so I'm trying to get back to that Um, it's really easy to get out the habit but once you get the ball rolling then it's easier to keep the ball rolling so I'm trying to get back to that Um, I may drink coffee I may check social media meditate I try to do any of that meditation and things meditation and prayer before I get into social media, but it's important for me to try and ground myself and prepare for the day because I don't want to have other things, other outside influences determining my mood. I want to try and shift and make my mood myself. So then once I do that, I log in and I've always worked from home, even prior to the pandemic, I've always worked from home, but um, i come in and I log on, check emails. I have meetings where we may discuss some of the research topics that we're going to, um, that we're looking at to work with some of our partners. And then from there, um, typically I would have to travel to some of my customers. So the people that I would travel with to look at these different research uh, items that we want to look at or research protocols that we want to look at, I would actually have to travel to them. So I would travel maybe twice a month something like that. Uh, But now we don't. So now it's all, you know, video conference, of course. Can you speak to a little bit of what type of research you conduct or can you not talk about that? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I am a health economic and outcomes research pharmacist. So I focus on the health economic side. So uh, if you are on our drug, are we really, is it really doing what we say it does on the economic front? So of course, it's already been determined that the drug is efficacious and that it works clinically for the person and that it's safe and effective. But we want to make sure that if we're saying, if you take this drug, you know, you're going to decrease your medical spending 
in or you're not going to go to the emergency room as much or you're going to see some health quality of life. So those are the types of studies that I conduct. Once it's out in the market, is it really showing that economic impact for the patients that are taking the medication? I love that. First of all, we need people that are good at that job. And you, as a pharmacist, have this knowledge of the drug background, the pharmacokinetics, how the drug works in the body, the dynamics, all that stuff. Um, You just have this amazing baseline knowledge that you can take with you when you're doing this research. Do you feel like your role as a pharmacist is represented in the media? Um, You know, I've had two opportunities here recently to be on, to do a a few media appearances. So I think that there could be more pharmacists that do media appearances. I think it's important to see that background as well, because as a pharmacist, I can speak to uh, different supplements or or self-care and those types of doing that more and finding different topics that can help with or get the word out about health disparities and ways that you can decrease it so that the news can see more pharmacists like me on television. Yeah. And even in TV shows, do you think pharmacists are represented that way? No, I think a lot of times uh, the pharmacists that are representing on television shows, you will see uh, they only represent the community pharmacists is what I see. Would you be willing to speak to, given your specialty areas, what is it like being a black woman in the pharmacy arena? I will say that when I started out, especially um, in the community that I'm in, that I'm in now, I would have to work in some rural areas in Indiana. And any while Indianapolis is um, has some diversity, um, the out the rural parts of Indiana does not have a lot of diversity. <laughs> so mm-hmm. some of those pharmacies that I would work in, they weren't used to seeing people like me, yeah. especially as their pharmacists, right? So mm-hmm. that could make it difficult when you are, first of all, they don't see you. I look young. At least I thought I did when I was first coming in, you know, out of school. I you do. Okay. For the listeners, <laughs> Google her. She does look young. I would never know that she's two kids. Like, no. <laughs> But when I came out of school, you know, I was 24, 25. So they were used to, let's say, Ed being their pharmacist. And literally, that was his name, who had been there for years. And he's who they know. They talk to him. And here comes this little black girl telling me, you can't have this medication because you need X, Y, Z. I mean, it was a (laughs) lot of people who were... It was either, it could have been various things. It could have been because of race. It could have been because I was a fee, because of gender, right? It could have been because Mm -hmm. of age. So I actually Mm -hmm. probably got it from all three fronts yeah racism all of that was coming at me but you know I didn't know which one it was but they just weren't used to someone telling them you know having the authority over choose ever letting them know what they can and cannot have when it comes to their prescription so yeah yeah. That was, and it ended up being that the, the head pharmacist wasn't doing everything as ethical as he should have been. <laughs> if you needed a refill on something, you were going to get it regardless of, you know, whether it was time or not, because wow. it just, it just didn't turn out the right way. So when I would come in, I'm saying, you know, this is my license that's on the line, not his. And I'm saying yep. no to it. That That would cause an issue. But so it was just learning how to um, uh, be aware that. Wow, this is a different environment for me. It's also different for them and just making them see that, hey, I'm just like anyone else and I am going to be respectful of you. You're respectful of me and building relationships with them sometimes will help break those barriers as well. That's such a gracious, (laughs) gracious way to look at that. And and (laughs) it 
I can, I can tell how nice you're being, but <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, with, with the knowledge that you have, do you, can you lay some stats on us about, um, the health disparities that exist in our broken American healthcare system? Yeah. So when it comes to health disparities, I mean, there are so many different, uh, things that come along, things that come along with health disparities. And I think, the main thing is we have to realize it may be a particular type of health difference that's closely linked to race or socioeconomic or environmental disadvantages. So those are all different types of things that can play into. But when it comes to race, a lot of times you'll see that racial disparities will account for about $35 billion in excess expenditures each year. So that's a whopping billion. Billion with a B, like, so, yeah, so maybe if lot. we all stop being racist, we could save <laughs> some money. But the thing is, people don't even, you know, it's not really about just being racist. People don't even realize it could be a small right. bias that you don't even realize that you have. You could be the most, you could be advocating, you could be the most woke person <laughs> that you are, <laughs> but there may be some implicit bias that you don't even realize that you're doing. So that's why it's important for us to look at ourselves, and then also for institutions to train their, um, their employees on what this looks like. What am I doing yeah. that may cause, you know, cause this racial disparities? Because everyone isn't intentional. Yes, you do have some people who are just outright, you know, uh, have racist, but then you have others who don't even realize that they're doing some biases that could be contributed to it. So, so you have basically, do you, you have training and resources available that help people identify their implicit bias. Is that correct? Well, I, I do not. I would love to go that route. But what I do on my page, I will share uh, some statistics about some of the racial disparities and things that we see. Like, for instance, Blacks are 5.2 more likely to die during childbirth versus whites. Right. And that's regardless of your um, your level of education. So a lot of people want to put it on poverty and education, but that does not matter. You know, your level of poverty or your education, they're still mm -hmm. 5.2 more likely to die. So I will have statistics like that and then give suggestions on things that we can do in order to be able to stop racial biases. So you will see me post that uh, on my page as well. But yes, I would love to be able to do more of training and, um, you know, my big goal is to be able to start a nonprofit where we are able to have um, uh, people who are of the community and Blacks who are of the community, young Black youth, be able to shadow healthcare professionals. Um, that This not only helps the youth, but it also helps the healthcare professional too, because it's shown that if healthcare professionals have a relationship or know someone of color, then they have less chance of having that racial and implicit bias that they may not re realize that they have. So that's one of my, my um, probably on my five-year plan, but uh, so they can come to my page and find some resources. But as far as training, I do not have that yet. But I will write that down. I I love this. I I was just talking to somebody yesterday about having big dreams like this and and living in your dream for a little bit and making it happen, troubleshooting things. How would it work? I I love dreaming and having that idealized that thing and then reaching for that. So and I think what you're saying is really important. Like if if you could make that happen, girl, like let's let's do it. I'll be behind you. All right. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, Dr. Stephanie Youngmas will give us a story from practice and some self-care. So stay tuned. 
from our little break and we have our pharmacist, Dr. Stephanie Young Moss with us. And honestly, Stephanie, I want to call you Dr. Yomo so bad. I've been <laughs> this whole time I've That's been like, I need to be professional. <laughs> but I wanted to call you Dr. Yomo. So Stephanie's here with a story. Take it away, Stephanie. Well, I have two daughters, as I mentioned. So when one of them, my oldest was three, I was pregnant with my second. And during this whole time, you know, I worked and I would drop them off at daycare, would drop her off at daycare at the time. I'm still working in pharmacy. I believe I was in managed care at the time. So she really did not know what I actually did. She just thought, you know, mommy's a pharmacist and she takes me to daycare. She picks me up and we eat food and have treats and she's pregnant. So I asked her one day, do you know what, what mommy does for a living? And she said, yeah, she's, you're a pharmacist. I was like, yes. She was like, do you know? And then I said, do you know what pharmacies, pharmacists do? And she said, yeah, get pregnant and have babies. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's not how any of this works. That's not right. <laughs> and I don't even know, like, what, what percentage of pharmacists are even women? Do you know? Yeah, actually, there's more female pharmacists okay. than men. I believe it may be. It may, yeah, there's a slight, it actually just recently over the past, maybe 10, 15 years where it okay. switched. I believe there's maybe, it's, it's really close though, like 55, 45, you know, it's really I was going to say, well, like that. maybe she's not that far off. <laughs> most pharmacists, <laughs> most pharmacists do. Right. So she, that's just what she saw. I mean, she, and it made me realize that, you know, while I'm being a mom and while I'm taking care of the kids and doing other things, uh, and my husband helps great, he does a great job with that as well. But I also need to show them that professional side and let them sit in and let them see what I do. That your mom is not just a mom. She has a career. She's a businesswoman, and this is what she's doing. Well, and as a woman raising little women, I think it's so important that little girls see that they can be more than moms or they don't even have to be moms. There's, I mean, all the options are on the table for little girls now. At least they should be. Yeah, I agree. And so you're role modeling that. I think that's really important, but it's so funny that that's what she thought. <laughs> yeah, she was so serious. Yeah. Oh, that sounds adorable, but also like, well, dang it. I guess I better, <laughs> I guess I better do some teaching, some right. teaching and learning. Right. All right. Well, Stephanie, I think that you are like the queen of social media. That is how I found you. Oh, thank you. You share all sorts of tips and tricks. And what I'm interested in learning from you is how do you practice self-care? Self-care, of course, being a mom, businesswoman, and then working full time during a pandemic where everybody's at home can be difficult, but that's why I try and get up before everyone else gets up because that's just a little bit more of peace and quiet that I can have to work on myself. So what I'll typically do is I'll pray and meditate. I'll even listen to, I'll go to YouTube and search in, you know, whatever I'm feeling that day. Um, and I'll listen to affirmations, whether it's, um, if I'm going to be, for instance, on a podcast and I want to be more confident, I'll Google how to be more confident on YouTube. And then there may be affirmations for that. Or I'll Google how to decrease worry, you know, those types of things. So whatever I'm feeling that day, I'll actually put, I say Google, but put that in YouTube and those affirmation videos and sounds will come up. And I'll typically listen to that in the morning to kind of get my day started because I don't want anyone else dictating my day 
or having their requests for me for what they want me to do, I want to be able to set the tone and mood for my day prior to me getting started. So that's typically my self-care in the morning before I even get started. And that's something that's pretty much accessible to everyone. I never would have thought of doing that. So right. anyone listening could just pull up a browser, put in YouTube, and if they need a boost of confidence or a boost of positive energy, or maybe they need something that's going to motivate them to get their work done. I mean, so you just literally like search yep. words and you find something with like music yeah, in the background and someone talking. Yep. Sometimes I have music. Okay. Yep. I have music and talking with a really soothing voice. And like, I'll even search how to decrease anxiety and worry if I'm feeling really anxious, just anything. And you'll be surprised at the affirmations and things. And a lot of times you'll have to go through them and listen to ones that really resonate with you. Their voice resonates with you. But those are some really good um, affirmations to be able to get your day going. It helps for me. It helps. A yeah. And lot. some people are really auditory and some people are visual and that kind of hits both of those needs. So uh, if anyone's listening and they're like, that sounds hokey, how am I going to sit down for five minutes and uh, like pour a cup of coffee and just listen or, or watch this video and, and really absorb what is being said. And I, I think we just don't take the time often. That is the barrier to self-care. Some people might, might think that that's a little like hokey, like how am I supposed to sit there for five minutes and not do anything <laughs> right right and I'm gonna be honest I am a huge multitasker but so sometimes I will sit there and just drink coffee and reflect or I may be doing I may wash dishes or I may you know I may find something else that needs to be done so you don't always have to just sit there yeah. right so you yeah. can find other things to do if you have to it don't it works better if you are kind of still but it you still can multitask if you have to I love that. And I don't think anyone's brought that particular self-care idea up before on the show. I mean, obviously the podcast is on YouTube, so like I'm on YouTube. And <laughs> but I think a lot of people there's so many ways you can use YouTube and this is just a really oh, yeah. good example of that. So, yeah. um awesome idea. All right. So, Dr. Yomo how, <laughs> if people love your message and they care about your work, how can they find you? Well, you can find me on all social media platforms at Dr. Stephanie Yomo, and that's D-R, Stephanie, and Y-O-M-O. And Yomo does stand for young moss. So it's not just a slang word. It's yeah. for young moss. She's not making that up. It's, <laughs> I got the I actual idea so from much. a friend like, from college. She called me that. So yeah, it, like it, it's, it just stuck. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, um, but they can find me there and then they can also visit my website at drstephanieyomo.com. Awesome. And your email is really similar to mine. Hello at drstephanieyomo.com. Mm -hmm. Yep. Correct? Yes, that's it. Awesome. That's it. Now, if you are interested in being on the show or you want to give some feedback or you want to become a Patreon, you know what to do. You can find me at Dose of Support on Instagram, Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Patreon. And you can give a small dose or a full dose on Patreon to help support the show. So I am blessed to be back in your ears next week. So until then, give each other a dose of support. 
every role in healthcare is important, and these experiences matter. We'll be back next week with a brand new guest and a whole different story. Until then, make connections, you guys. Give each other a dose of support. Dose of Support is written, produced, and edited by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by Rafael Sequeira. Don't forget to rate the show, write a review, and leave feedback wherever you listen. I'm punching out until next week, where we try to find some self-care in healthcare once again. <laughs>